Hello and welcome to Vet Club. We have, uh, I guess, a journal, a journal club that will make it a journal club. And I have a, a special guest. So Dr. Heidi Brunk is joining us today. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so excited that you're here. So um, we'll just let people know how you came to be on the show so that if they want to either come on the show or avoid coming on the show, they'll know how <laughs> to do it. But you reached out um, after another journal club that we had done. and You were like, that's great. Can you do one on Panaquel? And I said, I sure can if you join me <laughs> to do that. So, uh, and, and then you agreed. But full disclosure, I, my arm was not twisted. You, you, I could have said no. Yeah, oh, for sure. No, it, it's true. Like, I'm not going to force anyone Panic to go well to the sounds show like a good, to. like, ER drug. Like, panic well. Panic well? It's like your job. You just panic yeah, well. Yeah, you panic, but you oh, do it well. No C. That's, um, that's not how it's spelled. Yeah, that's um, what it sounds like. <laughs> so, um, so, panic well is a lot easier to say than the actual drug name, which I'm going to have to pull up and read. Where is it? We've got, um, we've got the drug information somewhere. Well, oh, you spent oh, so long pulling on Fuzaplidib, obviously. How did I not remember that it's Fuzaplidib sodium? Um, <laughs> if that's even how you're supposed to pronounce it. Uh, anyway, that's okay. the official drug name. Uh, drug name, but the trade name is Panaquel, which is way easier to say. Even though it's like not the easiest to say, it's easier than the actual drug. So, yeah. So tell tell us why you wanted to talk about Panaquel. Yeah. So I first was exposed to it probably in April, which I think is really about when it came out. Probably. Yeah. And um, we we had actually had it in our hospital and then I went to a CE and mm-hmm. heard some heard some speakers and, and talk about it and went to the vendors and talked to them. And at that point I had used it one time and I was uh-huh. like, I love it. It's okay. great. Um, but tell me more because yeah. <laughs> there's, you know, it's conditional approval and mm-hmm. there are some tricky things about administration that don't always work. Um, and so that's why I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to know what your experience was, how you're, how you're administering it. I mean, I, I know it's, three days in a row and there's some things yeah. there that can get complicated. And so I just really wanted, I just feel like there's some unanswered questions Oh yeah, um, with this drug, but I think it has fantastic potential. I just want to talk more about it. Yeah. yeah. So, so what does the conditional approval mean? Like, Good question. Does that mean like, oh, it's safe and it's out and it may have like, like when we put it in a large population, there may be some like small percentage that. Yeah, essentially. So they're basically saying um, it's like the first step, preliminary approval. Um, but it's, it's a way of being like, there's still a lot we don't know. Yeah. We, <laughs> right? we, we think it'll be safe, but yeah. there may be so some like. So usually by that time, safety studies are pretty good, mm-hmm. right? Like usually by the time it's gotten FDA approval, it's, it's shown to be pretty safe. So it has safe. FDA approval. It's conditional FDA approval, but yes, it is the FDA that's given it conditional approval. Um, And so it has passed the safety studies, um, which, so the way to get approval for the FDA, there's lots of stages. And one of the earliest ones is safety. Safety originally Mm -hmm. in like, not necessarily the target species that can be in like rats and mice. And then you have to do safety in the target species that you plan on labeling it for. Um, and those conditions have to be met typically before efficacy has to be met. You um, you don't have to necessarily prove that it's going to work. First, you have to prove oh, yeah. that it's not going to make things work. It's not going to kill patients. And so the safety is not really the big concern with a conditional approval so much as we think it's probably working, um, but you know it, it's preliminary work. There's very little research out on it. And so uh, they're basically saying like, yeah, we're approving this and you can use it, but like, don't get mad at us if it doesn't work as yeah. great as the manual. <laughs> manufacturer said it was going to. Um, and and always, I mean, this is true of anything that even has full approval. As new information comes out, the FDA can change their mind and be like, 
actually, we're going to remove this approval. It's no longer approved. But um, so it's their way of saying this is early approval. Um, but safety is generally like you've met those criteria. And isn't part of conditional approval that it has, it cannot be used extra label. It has to be used as it's Oh, that's a really approved. good point. That's a really good point. So yeah, when um, the, in these early conditional approval stages, they say like, you use it for this and only this, where in veterinarians use a lot of off-label drugs. So um, a lot of the human medications that we use are labeled for this disease in people, and they are not labeled for this disease in dogs, but we use it for this disease in dogs all the time. And you can do that um, uh, that's one of the you know benefits of having a veterinary license and, and being able to prescribe is you can prescribe things off label as long as it's justified in doing so. Like there needs to not be something that is on label, right? Um, if you're if you're ignoring something that has been labeled for that disease for that species to use something else, you better have a good justification for it. Um, so yeah, that's a really good point. Is that it is at this stage really should not be used for anything other than its labeled purpose. Um, excellent point. So yeah, it's um, so early, early in the, in its life, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and it's always exciting when like a truly new drug mm -hmm. comes out in veterinary medicine, because it doesn't happen that much. Um, and, you know, the drug companies come up with like a new version of something or like we have, you know, a bunch of NSAIDs and here's a new NSAID. And like, that's, that's kind of exciting, but it's not like this could revolutionize veterinary medicine exciting. Um and I think I've said this before on the podcast, like there's a couple drugs that I can think about in my career that have come out since I graduated, like that I didn't get taught in school that came out and have like made a big impact. And one is Serenia or Meropitant. And the other one is, uh, um, I'm blanking on it, the cardiac drug, Pimopendin. <laughs> Just totally blanked on that totally for a second. Totally knew that one. You did? You didn't no. say it. Um, uh, those ones have made a huge impact. And and then there's a lot of other things that the drug companies think have made a huge impact. But those are like the ones that I'm like, that changed how I practiced. Um, and I think time will tell yeah. if Panaquil could be one of those. Um, I think it has potential. Um, I do too. I have yeah. a funny, well, I don't know if it's funny, but I have a story. I had a human physician. Um, I think it, maybe internal medicine, can't remember. Mm -hmm. um, I treated his dog for pancreatitis. I've, I, I talked to him, I got this new drug. This is yeah. how it works. You know, I've seen some good results. And he's like, I don't understand why you guys have that. And we don't. Oh. He was like, <laughs> where's this in human medicine? Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So ha did he know about it before or just from you talking to him? And he was like, that sounds wonderful. I want some. No, just for me yeah. and my diagram in the, in the room. Oh, yeah. wow. So you said when you first heard about this, like you heard you used it once and you were kind of excited and then you were like, I want to learn more. It sounds like you've used it more than that since. Um, so, you know, what's been your impression so far? What have been the ups and downs? And then we can sort of talk about, you know, I'll, I'll hop, share my perspective as well and kind of how I've approached it from the get-go and then what I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah. So when I first was exposed to it, I think my approach was like, okay, I can see a great use for this. Mm -hmm. If I feel like I've got really severe pancreatitis mm -hmm. or necrotizing pancreatitis, I'd want to be sure that I have pancreatitis. And yeah. I really like to be sure I have only pancreatitis, right? Because <laughs> sure. there's, there's, there's some potential complications there. But um, but then when I heard and talked to the speakers, they said, no, you use it when you, you don't reserve this for your most severe mm -hmm. cases. You use mm -hmm. it if you have the indices of pancreatitis, you have the clinical suspicion, the history, all of that yeah. lines up. Use it and use it early because yeah. that's when you get the most benefit. And of course, I'm like, well, you know, I'll take a patient in on the weekend. I'll get their yeah. ultrasound on Monday. I'll confirm pancreatitis, start the drug then. And they're like, no, you get it done. Get it done as quick as possible. So 
I, yes, I have used it um, uh-huh. a, a good bit, I think, in our practice since then. Um, and I, to clarify, you work in emergency. Yes. So, yep. yeah, that emergency is your practice. Only, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I, I think, yes, I think anecdotally, these animals eat mm-hmm. quicker. They're less reliant on antiemetics. They're, mm-hmm. They just seem to feel better. They're less reliant on analgesics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I do think that is what I've seen. I, I still struggle a little bit with when to start it because we all know there's these comorbidities and we don't really want to give it if we think maybe they have a foreign body along with their pancreas. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because that's kind of, that's been my experience with the like drug reps, the company reps too, is, uh, you know, they're like, give it at the first sign of pancreatitis, which is interesting because we also said you're not supposed to use it off label. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So like, if I don't know it's pancreatitis, which we've talked about on this show before is like one of the hardest things to diagnose. And I'm not sure we can ever definitively diagnose it clinically. Like we can, but it's not practical because you're like, well, I have to exclude everything else. Like the form, I can't Mm -hmm. tell you how many foreign bodies, even in the last year that Mm -hmm. I've cut that were like diagnosed as pancreatitis because they had a positive CPLI. And so they got treated for pancreatitis and they weren't getting better. It's like, because they never had pancreatitis. Anyway, um, so so yeah, like being cautious and saying, but I'm not even sure that's what I'm dealing with yet because the first sign of pancreatitis is anything. <laughs> like, you know, he looked at me funny. That could be pancreatitis. <laughs> you know, he vomited once, he's off food. Like all of those things could be the earliest sign. And my cynical brain is like, well, of course the company wants you to use it at the first sign of pancreatitis. They want you to use it in every patient always. That's how they sell more product. Yeah. But that's not what the studies are. Like there's no studies saying, like comparing the timing of it. Like that's, if you look at, not that I'm aware of anyway, unless you've come across something recently. Like, yes, in general, in medicine, it makes sense to treat things earlier than later. Like that's just logical. You're not going to have to do a lot to convince me. Um, but you also um, approached it in the same way my brain is seeing and, and what I'm honestly making, what's making sense to me is those really severe cases. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because like, let's, let's be honest, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. It, it's it's not a cheap drug and I work at a pretty inexpensive hospital. And so the cost of the drug, because as you, you said earlier, the it's once a day for three days. That's the labeled dosage for um, treating a dog and only a dog. Um, it's not for cats with pancreatitis. So once today, once tomorrow, once the next day. And, um, and I think in our hospital, depending on the size of the animal, that's like six or $800. Well, in my hospital, that's also two or three days in the hospital. And so if I'm thinking like most of my clients don't have unlimited funds. And so if I'm trading two or three days in the hospital, it should be shortening hospitalization by two or three days. Like in in order for that to be financially worth it, it either needs to increase the chance that that patient's going to survive, which in the really severe cases, I think there's potential for that. But the patients that are going to survive anyway, it's not going to have a survival benefit, right? Um, And if if they're not that bad that they, you know, don't even need hospitalization, then why am I going to spend, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars on, you know, depending on the size of the animal. So it's hard for me to justify from a financial standpoint, giving it to every patient, you know, and, and then what are they saying? Like if it works in the first dose and you're like, well, now I'm really not sure it had pancreatitis. Are you supposed to continue it? Like the drug company's probably going to say yes, but does that make sense? Like, I don't know. So yeah. I, I have to be really careful with what the drug company So you're going to say in that if you give this medication, you feel like it makes the animal better, but it doesn't make it good enough to send home. Well, it might. And I think the, I'm thinking about it in the sense for, there is preliminary evidence um, 
that it improves outcome or improves recovery with pancreatitis. We have that, that's in the package insert, um, which is like classic package insert is like very limited information. You have to like do a lot of inferring, but it seems like it helped on average dogs with pancreatitis more than a placebo did. Um, so they we're get getting to go home. Like, what do you mean by helps? Like, does they get to go home early? Good question, they- Topher. So what they mean is if we, so we've got the package insert pulled up. So what they did is, um, they used in the, in the study that they used for their conditional approval was the modified canine activity index. Um, so which is used to score seven clinical signs. So activity, appetite, um, specifically voluntary food intake, vomiting, abdominal pain, cranial abdominal pain, specifically dehydration, stool consistency, and blood in the stool. Those are the seven categories. And so I've, I've pulled up the actual scale. Um, so this is from another, so this has been previously published. It's a reasonable scale for them to use. Totally fine. Um, and so what each of those seven categories has a score from zero to three. Um, and so you're sort of you know, observing the animal and making an assessment is zero normal or is three the most severe in each of those seven categories. Um, and then you're, you're scoring them, getting their total score and then saying what's, what's happening. Um, I should clarify that for blood in the feces, it's just zero or one. There's not a score of three. It's not like an amount of blood you have to quantify. Um, but for the rest of them, it's zero to three. Um, so like a normal stool versus like watery diarrhea versus like kind of soft versus like, where do you draw those lines? So there's, there's, you know, it's not perfect, but that's how these scales are. Like, so it's, it's a reasonable thing to use. Um, the dehydration was the one that like kind of piqued my interest the most because I'm like, well, these are patients that were, I'm pretty sure they were, well, they were, it's not clear that they were hospitalized. They were receiving treatment for pancreatitis. So I'm like, well, if they're in the hospital, then they were probably eating fluids and they shouldn't be dehydrated. So that is not going to fix dehydration. Right. right? Yeah. Well, no, but like if they're eating and, and so it's a weird, it's a weird thing to include. So it was like, you could just eliminate that maybe. Um, so, but what they reported in the package insert. Okay. So you've got this seven point scale or a, yeah, seven part scale. Uh, I think the score total score is out of 19. I'm pretty sure. And then they said, okay, what is their scale on day zero when we first assessed them and gave them the drug? And then what is their score on day three? And then roughly half the dogs got the panicle and half got a placebo. And then they averaged all of those scores together for all the dogs in the, the treatment group and the placebo group. And they said, what is their, what was their average score on day zero and their average score Not the on best day way three? To do the statistics. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the problem. So one, Averaging this is categorical, categorical data. Right. So you're averaging a score that zero to, okay. So if we just look at, um, zero for appetite, um, zero is normal. The animal ate more than three quarters of the food offered, which is a nice, like, you know, kind of a good, uh, this is how much you offered. We ate at least that. And then one slightly decreased. The animal ate about half of the food offered. What if it was about three quarters of the food? Where are you going to put it? Zero or one. I don't know. Anyway, two, moderately decreased. The animal ate about a quarter of the food offered. Three, severely decreased. The animal did not eat much of the food or at all. So an animal who's completely like nauseated, gross, get it away from me. And an animal who's like, "Uh, no thanks, or took a bite would be a three. And when we average all of those scores, we're saying that the difference between zero to one is the same as the difference between one to two, which is the same as the difference between two to three. And three was like this huge range of animals. And so that's the problem with averaging categorical scores. And so we're averaging categorical scores and it's across multiple dogs. So um, 
Now they're saying overall, the, the trend was all of the dogs in the study on average, if you look at the averages got better. So if we go back to the package insert and we look at the numbers that they reported. Okay. So the modified, um, score from day zero pre-treatment to day three, as assessed by the investigator. So I'm guessing it's one person. It doesn't say that they were blind to what their treatment was. So I don't know if the investigator knew who got what. Hopefully they did. They were blinded. But day zero, um, the treatment group, so the Panaquil group had their scores at eight and a half and the placebo group was 7.7. 7, um, and I'm assuming those were statistically similar. Um, and then the changes in the mean. So they they compared the, the mean change. So not the absolute scores, but how much did it change from 8.53 mean? Um, so the average... T- mean total scores decreased by 7.7 in the treatment group and 5.7 in the placebo group. So they're saying that on average, all of the dogs collectively improved more in the treatment group compared to the placebo placebo group, but all of them improved. Um, and, and so the question is, is the difference between 7.7 change and 5.7 on average across about 18 dogs, is that clinically relevant? And is it worth $800. That's the question. Yeah. What score are you, are you trying to get to a zero score? I mean, zero would be goal? a normal animal and a, normal. a completely normal animal would be zero. So dropping scores, um, from eight to, you know, eight and a half to set by 7.7 is you're pretty much back to normal, but going from seven and a half, you're down to two. That means like maybe your stool's a little bit soft still, but you're probably eating pretty well. Like you, you, you're, at a two (laughs) overall, Mm -hmm. like most dogs that came in for like normal wellness might have a two score. So like these are all pretty normal dogs. And so the question is, you know, were these dogs going to die and we saved their lives or were these dogs that were going to get better and maybe they got better a teensy bit faster. Yeah. They did. Um, Did they get better fast enough for it was worth it. And again, this whole study was over three days. So what they didn't and now what could have given me some like, Hey, yeah, that's impressive. Is if they've gotten those scores on day zero, day one, day two, and day three. And they said, actually the dogs who got Panaquel, um, dropped significantly faster. They were, they dropped seven points in the first yeah. day and the placebo group, it took them the three days. They right. eventually got there, but that's not what this so is the reporting. Panaquel dogs ready to go home after the first day and it doesn't need two right. extra days. Yeah. That would that, be, that's justifiable. Absolutely. Um, but that's not what they reported here. Um, and that's it. Presumably because that's not what they collected. Yeah, that's it's probably they didn't think of it ahead of time. They just wanted to fine. see that it was work. That's the next study. I also don't know if that was like also financially motivated. I want them to give the full three doses. And so if we tell them they're better after a day, why would they give three doses? That's me being cynical again. Yeah, you're so mean. I am. I'm such a butt. Um, but those are the questions. And so those are the additional studies that will need to happen and will probably not happen by the company unless the FDA requires it. That's what's going to happen by other people. Yeah. But okay, that's enough of me talking for a moment. So let's pause. So, you know, what do you do with that information, Heidi? Like when you get this and you're like, okay, yeah, that sounds convincing. Or like, how do you approach this when, you know, you're like, I'm excited. I want to use this drug and I want, you know, this to help pancreatitis because it's one of the most frustrating things to, to treat. But also like, I got to, con- like, if I'm going to tell a client, I want you to spend an extra thousand dollars or whatever it is it's going to cost. Like, how are you approaching that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that when I when I am really convinced that I have mm-hmm. acute pancreatitis and everything lines up mm-hmm. and everything fits, um, without something else going on, because that's another that's another tricky thing. Is, know. You know, half these dogs have Cushing's and diabetes, and they have mm-hmm. these these comorbidities. But if I think that I'm really just dealing with acute pancreatitis, I do. 
I do recommend it. I, I yeah. have a I have a conversation with them. We talk yeah. about how it works. And I think this does kind of speak to probably why the drug companies are saying use it early and first, mm-hmm. because it does interfere with inflammation. Yeah. So the sooner we can do that, the better. Yeah. Um, rather than like at day three, when the pancreas is completely yeah. inflamed, then you start it. So, you know, I have that conversation, but I'm also really honest. And I tell them, we're this is labeled yeah. for three days in a row. So we're yeah. going to have some decision-making to do if we're better at 24 hours. If this, mm-hmm. if the animal looks great at 24 hours, do we do two more injections? Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it is expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I have actually had a few clients that have been discharged and then came back yeah. for injection two and three um, or injection three yeah. to be compliant. Yeah. Which I like, I don't know what to do with that either. Right. Yeah. Like, do yeah, you, you got to do come it back? It's like, labeled. it has to be done so that the research can be done. Yes, I think. But eventually somebody's going to have to design a study and yeah. compare one injection to three and be like, do we need that third one? Is it the um, sort of thing that they can take home or is it only a doctor? No, it's an injection. And so, yeah, the vast yeah. majority of clients were like, no, you just need to come back. Um, and not all of them will. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah. that's one thing as well. But, um, and it is kind of slow. I was kind of yeah. slow IV, like over a minute. Oh. So, yeah. And it's also depends yeah. on the dog's temperament. Like how easy is that to just right. swing by and do an outpatient IV yeah. injection? Without a catheter. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's not the, the simplest thing. And so um, I will share with you um, my anecdotal experience has been um, I've only either used it or seen it used here in our clinic in severe pancreatitis cases. Um, and um, and I, I've feel like my, my observations have been those animals got better quicker than I thought they would have under normal circumstances, like better than I was expecting. And a couple of things that you mentioned also, Heidi, were they seemed less dependent on pain medications. Um, I don't know that I've necessarily observed them eating earlier than, than I would have expected. The pain control was actually the most impressive thing for me. We, the, the first case, and I'll probably remember this one forever. The first case that we used it in I was getting called in the middle of the night because the the intern that was on overnight was like, we need to euthanize this dog essentially. Like this dog is miserable. The owner doesn't get how sick it is. It's like one of, it's a really, and it seems like a really bad pancreatitis and it did. Um, and that's what they thought was going on. The dog had like, it had been diagnosed with cancer and it had, you know, it had been treated for it, but like it was dealing with pancreatitis and that, that seemed, it was one of those, you're like, yeah, this fits pretty well with pancreatitis. Um, but the intern was like, this dog is miserable. I can't control its pain. And so, um, you know, we were like, okay, we'll try adjust. This is the pain medication plan. And if that doesn't work then in the morning, cause this was late at night, early in the morning, I don't remember. And it was like, if not, we'll put like an epidural catheter in. And that's my, like, that's been my go-to for really bad, um, uh, pain associated with pancreatitis that I just can't control. And, um, and then it was like, well, we also, we have this new pancreatitis drug. I'm like, talk to the owners. If they're on board, like try it. You know, what have we got to lose in this case? Cause money didn't seem to be an issue for these clients. And so they tried that. And then, so I was expecting to come in in the morning and put an epidural catheter in, um, because the dog's pain was still not well controlled or, you know, like maybe it was okay, but it was having bad side effects from the opioids or who knows what. And so that's what that dog was looking significantly better than I hadn't seen it, but like what was described, which was like, I don't often get calls from interns that want to euthanize animals because of how painful they are. That's not like a common thing. And this, this animal was way more comfortable than described. And the intern that was on overnight was like, this is like a different dog. Um, and so I was like, huh, I mean, the only thing we did, I mean, we did adjust the pain medications, but I've used those a lot. And then, you know, when it's that bad, it could be that. So I was like, okay, and all it's right. not a pain medication specifically. It's not. It's, just, it's not an analgesic mm-hmm. drug. It yeah. is an anti-inflammatory. So it would be like when we give steroids to an animal. It 
they can be more comfortable because you've reduced inflammation if the inflammation is what's causing the pain. But no, it's not directly interfering with pain pathways. So I was like, all right, okay, I'm, I'm interested because uh, it's hard to convince me of anything. Um, and so I was like, all right, this is, this is good. But this was a severe case that like, yeah, this is one that's worth spending the money on. It's going to make a difference. I've also seen it used. I have not used it in any like early ones. Um, we did have a case um, not long ago that uh, I wasn't involved in the case initially, but somebody thought it was maybe pancreatitis and they started treating it and then we diagnosed it with something else. And so we stopped treatment. Um, and, you know, so so that's always interesting to me. Like, again, what what do you do when it's really that early? Um, because I do think we make the the premature diagnosis of pancreatitis fairly commonly, and it and that's the thing. Are you making a diagnosis, or is it one of your differentials? Right. And I think that's just really challenging. Because even in the cases where I've used it, had we ruled out everything else? No, because you never do. It's pancreatitis. Like you can't possibly rule out everything else. Um, if it's not pancreatitis and you give, an, like, is there inflammation that it's potentially treating? Maybe. Um, so I'm not overly worried. I know, really I it's pancreatitis now. How? You give them this drug and if they don't get better, it's not pancreatitis. Yeah. And if they <laughs> yeah. do, it's pancreatitis. That is an expensive diagnostic test that takes three days. Um, Just add it to the CDC camp. Maybe do some x-rays. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> give it a few years, it probably will be. Um, <laughs> It'll be cheaper then too. CBC chem and just panic, panic well. well. Just give it panic well. Um, it'll be cheaper by then. Yeah. If it's cheaper, uh, it'd have to be a lot cheaper for me to be on board with something like that. It'd have, you'd have to be like paying people in a research study, <laughs> essentially. Um, so I'm, I'm very much like, yes, if, if I'm reasonably sure that this is pancreatitis, I'm with you. Let's do it. If this is a patient that I'm like, eh, it might have some pancreatitis, but I'm going to treat it as an outpatient. No, I'm not using it in those cases because those are also the ones that I'm, not as convinced have pancreatitis um, because if they're not that sick, I'm not recommending like every diagnostic test to figure out what this is because this patient's, the patients that are really sick are the ones I'm like, I need to know what you have. Um, and so I'm going to try to figure out, is this really pancreatitis or is this something that looks like pancreatitis? And so those are the ones that I feel more comfortable that I've made a reasonable diagnosis. Um, but yeah, the whole like at the first sign of pancreatitis, start panic. Well, I don't see me doing that. So are there different severities of pancreatitis? So like, yes. like headaches, there's migraines that are terrible. Yeah. And if you don't take medication, you're going to be in pain. And there's like, oh, I got a little bit of headache. I can just tough it out or drink a Coke. Yes. yes. So yeah, that would seem like to that. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's the spectrum yeah. for pancreatitis for sure. And um, yeah, really mild cases, they, they don't end up need, needing hospitalization. But the ones that I absolutely have recommended it for are going to be the ones that I do think have severe enough case that they need to be hospitalized. Yeah. It seems yeah. like probably the, like rather than, Oh, I think it might have pancreatitis. Like, am I worried about this patient? Yeah. Then yeah. it's a good time to think about it. If you didn't like get weirded out by gross stuff, you would have been a good doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like your thought process. Like, maybe late. I'm rubbing off on you. He doesn't like anything gross. That's how no, I keep him out of my phone. Disgusting. That's how I keep him out of my phone. Now it's yeah. physics and sports decision yes. making. Yeah, that's what it is though. Um, but it's like, oh, that's logical. Here's a case. Like I'm worried that this patient may get worse or may not survive, or it's going to be a lengthy hospitalization. This, this thing can probably help. And so that's who I sort of advocate um, using it in, and, which is the exact, well, it's not the opposite. It's almost the opposite of what the drug companies say. Now, Bobby, if it's a schnauzer. 
If it's, are you like, yes, we're using it? Yeah, no, every schnauzer just gets a weekly injection for their whole life. Um, <laughs> no. When you buy it, it comes with it. Yeah. It's a subscription. It's your subscription to Panicwell. So yes, yeah, schnauzers are um, a pain in the butt with their pancreatitis. They do tend to um, to get it more often, but I'm going to use the same criteria in a schnauzer, honestly, because I've had some schnauzers over the years that had that like just kind of low grade chronic. Now that'll be interesting to yes. see if you have those like, I don't know what to do with these cases though. Like the, the clients that come in and you're like, oh yeah, he, he gets pancreatitis all the time. I'm like, I don't feel like that's pancreatitis or I'm not convinced. Like, does this dog have IBD? Does this dog have Addison's? Like what else? Because pancreatitis, while we, they can get these chronic, like low grade that flare up all, that's more of a cat thing, honestly, but dogs can get it too. But I'm always like, but have we just been saying like somebody once told the client it was pancreatitis. And so now every time the dog gets these very vague signs, it could be a million things. They're like, it's pancreatitis and they get better because that's, you know, the treatment yeah, for pancreatitis the is like whatever. With the list of things for you to do. Hey, I need you to do these. Oh yeah. It's like, Oh go. yeah, we're going to get along well, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but sometimes they just need somebody to explain like, well, actually um, here's how this works. The last dog I had didn't get Panaquil, um, but it was diagnosed with pancreatitis. Um, and it was a, a great Dane and had, you know, was presented for vomiting and diarrhea, GI signs could be pancreatitis totally. Um, and got a CPLI and was like, yep, it's pancreatitis. And then it came into our hospital cause it wasn't really doing better or it was after hours when it got worse or whatever. So it came into us and, um, the doctor took it in overnight and was like pancreatitis, treating it for pancreatitis. And so I had to get the case in the morning and I'm like, yeah, it totally could be pancreatitis, but why is your belly not hurt? I don't understand. Why doesn't your belly hurt? Also like, why are you coughing? I don't understand why you're coughing. Can we talk a little bit more about this case? And so I talked to the clients and I'm like, tell me more about this vomiting. Um, because I'm like, I, I wonder if this dog is regurgitating and not vomiting and now it's aspirated and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and so the clients came in and we were chatting and, and I was like, well, you know, because we still don't really know exactly what's going on. It's like, well, no, she has pancreatitis. I'm like, well, actually I'm going to pause on that really quickly. And let's talk, let's talk about why I'm not so sure. And then we start talking a little bit more about the vomiting and they're pretty convinced that the dog is vomiting, but they also, when I described regurgitation, were like, Oh, yeah, she's doing that too. that too. And I'm like, oh, I bet she's doing that. And then I try to like mimic the I feel like a great esophagus. Dan would be a loud yeah. vomiter. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to do it into the microphone, but like that. And I was like, is, is that? And they're like, well, kind of, but she's really getting her belly into it. I was like, oh my God, this dog has mega esophagus. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Was she coughing before? No, she wasn't coughing. This morning, like when I took her out for a walk, like she's just got a, a soft cough. I want to get some chest x-rays. I want to see what's going on in her lungs and I want to see her esophagus. And if it's normal, cool, that's great. We'll move on. Um, sure enough, the dog has mega esophagus and aspiration pneumonia. And this dog has always been regurgitating. She's not been vomiting. She did have diarrhea. So she had that symptom as well. And she never had pancreatitis. <laughs> and so- you know, that's one of those things that it's so, but she had a positive CPLI. So, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, the clients were lovely. They, they were really great about understanding like, okay, yeah, no, everything you're saying is making sense. They were agreeable to everything. We got the x-rays and it was like, yes, in retrospect, this all now makes sense what we're seeing. Um, but it's just too easy to fall into those traps of, um, a client presents for, you know, their dog for vomiting. It's not their job to know the difference. And so then you go down that route and then you do the tests and yep, everything fits. The dog has elevated liver enzymes. The ALP is up. Yep, it right. fits. I was like, but where's your belly pain? So this dog it was hospitalized, but because she was feeling crummy, but it wouldn't have been one I would have given Panaquil to. And had that dog got Panaquil. Yeah. Probably not the worst thing in the world. It's a great yeah. day and so it's going to be expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I know. How many vials would that have been? I don't know. <laughs> um 
probably not the worst thing in the world, but what would that, what would that anti-inflammatory effect have been to its aspiration pneumonia? Maybe it would have been good. Yeah. Know. Or maybe it would have been bad. Like I, you know, cause we want some of that inflammation. It wasn't excessive inflammation, this dog. So like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I agree. I'm not overly worried about giving it other than the unnecessary cost. And I worry that people kind of get that idea in their head, like, Oh, yep. We've given this drug and we, we've made the diagnosis and we've just got to, we've got to wait. We got to wait for this. So your point was like, if you give them panic, like give everything Panaquil and if it gets better, then it was pancreatitis. And if not, but like, that's not really a very good <laughs> system. I know you meant it jokingly, but, um, so that's, that's my worry. I, I do think this could be a really good drug. It's an easy way to do the research. It is an easy way to do it. It's, it's not a cheap way to do the research. That's the hard part with this. It's other people's money. When? Like who, what are you talking about? You making clients, the client yeah. paying for, oh my yeah. God, you're the worst. So this is the hard part of doing study. research. Oh, you just want to do it retrospectively. So yeah. make everybody pay for it. Prospectively, retrospectively. So we're planning on it. Though. Yeah. Yeah. This is so ethical, Tover. <laughs> you don't put it in the IRB. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's getting worse. We should probably <laughs> kick you. Is it time for you to go yet? Yeah, it is actually. It is time for you to go. All right. Tofer's going to step out now um, <laughs> because he's being naughty and uh, we'll finish the show without you. But thanks for joining us for at least part of the show today. Bye. You're not going to say bye. He's not. He's waving. Um, bye. <laughs> so um, at any rate, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to do Tofer's research, but the kind of research, like, so what study would you want to see to convince you I don't know, maybe to give it in all the patients that you suspect or like, what would it take to convince you to, to do things differently? Well, I like, so like you said, I, I would really love to see those scores on each day. Mm -hmm. So that, that would also be huge. I mean, I do think it's, it's significant that the group that received Panaquil, they're, you know, they're less than one, mm -hmm. the other groups too. I think that's significant. It seems significant to me. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see how quickly we got there. Um, I guess too, just from a general practitioner's, well, I'm not a general practitioner, but from that standpoint that we may not have an ultrasound, mm -hmm. we may be basing this on mm -hmm. amylase lipase CPLI. Yeah. And so if, if those are the criteria, um, you know, knowing what, knowing what's going to happen in those cases, I think would be helpful to me. Um, and I, I haven't read this particular, um, study, so I don't know I don't think anyone has, because I think all you get is what's in the package. <laughs> That's what I got. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of knowing like how, how the traditional therapy um, was in line with also the Panaquil. So, yeah. That's like, a good question. I mean, of course, I assume they, everybody got fluids. Everybody got anti-emetics, yeah. analgesics. So I think they do talk about that a little bit, like based on their need. Um, I, I remember reading that somewhere, but yes, they basically got the, the, stan the standard of care, fluids, nutritional support, pain medications, excluding NSAIDs, mm -hmm. anti-emetics and medications to treat well-controlled pre-existing conditions. And, um, and what was the severity of these cases? Like how severe? So that's a, that's a really good question. Cause our, I, I would argue not the worst um, based on their scores, their, uh, um, their modified scores, right? So it was eight and seven or eight and a half and seven and a half or something like that between the two groups, um, which I mean, they're sick, uh, but they're not the worst ever if it's out of 19, right? The score is out of 19. So they're like half. Um, so they're not the sickest patients. Which I think is a really good point as well. I think the other thing I'd really like to see, and this is for sure going to be in the future, but okay, so let's say we have a dog that, well, I don't even know that we're going to be able to tell this, but if we have a dog that maybe has had chronic pancreatitis, mm. is having an acute flare up, yeah. then 
does it does it get this drug? Is and that then one, maybe yeah. the chronic pancreatitis is no longer that's uh, interesting. Such an issue. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, and is that one that you're more convinced to give it at the earliest Early. sign? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that seems reasonable. I think the way I my brain goes to this, because I'm always thinking about the cost of things. Like one of my least favorite things in the world is to have a patient that we spent a bunch of money up front on what I would consider unnecessary diagnostics or treatments. And then we run out of money when they're starting to get better. Um, like that drives me nuts. Um, or we euthanize patients because the owner's like, we can't afford all of those things. And we, you know, uh, working in emergency, I know you deal with spectrum of care all the time. Um, and it's just part, it's, it's sort of a natural part of what we do where you're like, here's, you know, here's what I think is the best. And then, you know, here's all the steps in between. And like, here's like the bare minimum, but we can try that. We can always try those things. Um, but so my head automatically goes to, okay, if Panaquel is going to, let's say it, it's not going to confer a survival benefit just for the sake of this argument, um, either because this patient's going to survive regardless, or it just, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a survival benefit. Um, okay, you're going to spend an extra $1,000 to give the Panaquel, and your dog is going to get better one day earlier um, than if we didn't give the Panaquel. Um, and that the one extra day will save you $400. So you spent 1000 to save 400 and your dog got better a day earlier. Is that worth it? What if that means we are less risk for an acute episode in the future. And again, then maybe it is. But And so those are the questions I want to ask. And so that's the study I want to see. I actually want to see like what you were saying, like how quickly did they get better? Um, And I want to, you know, prospectively enroll the sick patients that need to be in the hospital. And then I expect, like I wouldn't enroll patients that I think will go home tomorrow. These are patients that I expect are going to be in the hospital for at least two or three days. Okay. And then I want to compare those, you know, I want the same placebo control, right? Um, Panaquil versus placebo. And I want to I want to do the math and see how much it cost. So not only did they go home earlier, but what was the like per day cost? Because of course we all want our dogs to get better faster, but if they're going to get faster, like, you know what? You can suffer for one extra day for the $600. That $600 absolutely is worth no it. No problem. Yeah. But I want to present it to the yeah, client yeah. in those terms. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, you need to do this or you're a bad person. I want to be like, look, here's the reality of it. Like you cannot do this, spend this extra thousand dollars and the odds are really good that your dog will get better. It might take an extra day. Um, and the cost savings for you is about $600 to not give this treatment. Um, now, if we have studies that say it confers the survival benefit, my guess is that the only way you're going to see a survival benefit if you're treating the sickest patients, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're giving it to the patients the that come in, they're all going to survive. Anyway, they're all yeah. going to survive. So you have to look at the cohort of patients that are very, very severe. And then I believe that it could confer a survival benefit based on what I have seen. I can't say that right now because we don't have any actual evidence, but I, that's the study I would like to see. Because then if I tell somebody the odds of your dog dying from pancreatitis decrease by 20%, guess what? That's worth the extra $600. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe they're only going to go home a day early, but they're also more likely to go home. To that's huge. That's huge. And I think most clients will say, yes, that's worth it. But we just don't know that that's true right now. Um, so for me, it's hard to say, like, how do I decide um, on the patient where the extra money is worth it in the savings? Um, or again, like if you told me, for me personally, 
right? It would be off label. We're not going to use it in me, but like, you're, like <laughs> your physician that you talked to was like, why don't we have this for people? So it was me. And they were like, all right, Bobby, you're hospitalized. You've got pancreatitis. And if you spend an extra $600, you can get out of the hospital earlier. I was like, Ooh, and, and insurance is not going to cover that. Mm-hmm. Like it's too new. So this is, you have to pay this out of pocket or you're going to be getting better. Um, like you will be feeling better than you do right now, but you're just going to need to stay one extra day. Am I going to pay that $600? I don't know. <laughs> like for me personally, I'm like, eh, I can deal with it for an extra day. Now in people, you have to look out like, okay, you lot, you missed another day of work, the productivity, like it, it gets more Plus you could tell the person that you're going to exactly. feel better tomorrow. You're going to yeah. feel better. In yeah. That. Yeah. So, it, and, and, but that's what I do in my head with these scenarios, because I'm like, yeah, it seems like it's working, but I have to look at it in the grand scheme of things. Is it, is it conferring enough benefit to be worth the price? That, I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what the clients really want to know. And, and I like what you said. You're like, you have a conversation with them. I think that's what's crucial is to say, here's what we know. Here's what we don't yet know. Um, I do think it's pretty darn safe, right? So I'm not really worried that I'm going to give this in. It's going to cause more problems. The big downside of this medication is the cost. Um, is that it's expensive and we still don't know who is going to benefit the most from that. Um, but I, yeah, I'd like do to you see more stuff. think that's true? Do you think that we're probably not going to cause more problems? Do you think that's true with, um, you know, say we have missed, we, we have missed a foreign body and we're treating mm. it for pancreatitis. Yeah. It ends up going to surgery a couple yeah. of days after we're in the hospital and it's had Panaquil. I think, I mean, I think the answer is we just don't really know. Yeah, I don't think it's likely to make, like if we misdiagnose pancreatitis and mm-hmm, accidentally mm-hmm. give Panaquil, I'm not overly worried about that. Um, I think I think if we as clinicians can separate in our minds that I've made a diagnosis and I've given a treatment, <laughs> right? But I think, I think the danger is still far greater in making an assumption that I know what the diagnosis is, whether I've given Panaquil or not. Um, and so, but I think like what we've said earlier is, if, um, you know, as, as we, as this drug is out longer and longer, more studies come out and we have more collective experience with it, I think we'll start to see an expected response as well. And so if I'm like, this one's not improving, like I think it should with or without Panaquil, right? Like we do that anyway, uh, maybe I need to second guess my original mm-hmm. diagnosis. So that's going to be the case where I think that's what I would caution, uh, you know, people who are using this drug or not using this drug is to, you know, don't get that tunnel vision. Um, but I don't think it's likely to make the foreign body worse. Like I, I, I don't have any physiologic reason why that would be, um, that it would interfere in any way. Um, but I, I think it's really just, uh, clinicians need to, to recognize that like, yeah, even though you're pretty sure and you're sure enough that you want to try using this pancreatitis is a sneaky bugger and you really have to, you have to be always vigilant that, um, you could be wrong. I think that's the key. And that sucks. Nobody likes to be wrong, but it's how it goes. Um, it's medicine. We're wrong all the darn time. And, and, and it's only a problem to be wrong is if we assume that there's no possible way we could be wrong. I think that's when being wrong is dangerous. And you can't miss the, exactly. the right choice exactly. in two days. Yeah. It's okay to be like, I think it's this, um, but I recognize that I could be wrong. And so I'm going to keep an open mind. That's That kind of being wrong is fine. We do that. We have to do that, right? We have to make yeah. choices on limited information all the time. And and so it's totally fine to choose the wrong thing and to give Panaquil the first day and then reassess the next day and be like, maybe we don't need to continue that because now I've made this other assessment. Um, I would like to also see a study. So when talking about the severity of cases, 
cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, those one, you know, those those Cushing's patients, those diabetic yeah. patients, those often are the more severe cases. Yeah. So I want to know what this drug does in the face in those of those comorbidities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, that'll be interesting, and I don't think it will be that long before we start to see if even just maybe case reports or case series of that, um, because I do think this is a, a drug that's making a difference, and I think people are seeing. Um, you know, what they believe are real benefits. And I get that because that's, that's what I think I'm seeing. Um, it'll be nice to see that supported by more studies um, in the field, more clinical studies. Um, I think the hard part about the studies, and I think what will limit the number of studies on this is the cost. So unless the drug company wants to sponsor more field studies where people can say, hey, you're going to get $1,000 towards, you know, your care, or even if they just donate the drug, they say the the cost so that, you know, the treatment for pancreatitis is going to be the same, whether you get the drug or not, we're going to supply the drug so that that isn't a limiting factor in the research. Um, That's what needs to happen. Because if if the the drug company isn't supplying the medication or isn't otherwise funding the research, it's going to be limiting because you're now already, you're selecting for the clients who can afford all the treatment. So is it that they got the Panacol, or is that they got the best care total versus the ones who are like, okay, we're going to do par- you know, or pan- uh, pancreatitis and we're just going to kind of cut corners. And we're like, yeah, of course, those ones may not do as well if we're not able to provide the best care we think we should, um, whether or not that includes Panacol. So it really, I think, needs to be well-controlled, well-designed, prospective, you know, controlled and, and placebo-controlled studies, if, if at all possible. And I think there are some going on, and I think there will be, um, because- that's the other thing. My hope is if the company is serious and they want to get behind this and be like, yeah, then they, they should fund those studies. They should be motivated to fund that because then people like me will come back and be mm-hmm. like, all right, here it is. Here's the evidence. You all should be doing this. And if they come out with the studies that show, you know, a, a potential survival benefit or, or some other significant benefit from giving it really early, I'll, I'll change my tune. Um, I, I think it's going to be hard to convince me of that one because um, you're going to have to do a pretty big study and show like some serious benefit of giving it to every patient that looks like it might have pancreatitis eventually. Um, but if they do, if they can fund a big study like that. And then they'll have to change the label. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This label will get updated, I imagine. And then uh, presumably, well... I'm guessing that they're maybe doing some research in cats, but pancreatitis just isn't the beast in cats like it is in dogs. So I'm not, I'm not overly worried about that. Sometimes cats get, you know, short shrift like they, they, but this is one I'm like, eh, the cats don't really get the bad pancreatitis like dogs. They don't need this (laughs) one. It's not the same. No. It's not the same beast. Um, So what, tell me what you're doing now. So you kind of already have, but like, tell me last little bit here, like your criteria. Um, Say somebody's like, finances are kind of they, like they're they're doing okay but they're not unlimited so they have to like really think about every decision and you've got an animal that's like moderately sick you know you're mm-hmm. like okay this one mm-hmm. this is one that like could really go down south and spiral tomorrow or it, it could I won't really be surprised if it's worse tomorrow or if it's better tomorrow it's right on the line mm. yeah that worst but yeah that's what I'm giving you the worst possible scenario and the clients are like oh finances are kind of they're tight we we want to do what's best but like we do have to think I about mean, this. what I actually do is just give them both options. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but if I, if I do think that one dose of Panaquil um, is going to really get this dog out of the hospital mm-hmm. quicker, but then I have to tell them that the, the drug is supposed to be given three days in a yeah. row. Um, so if I discharge your dog tomorrow, I'm not, we're not using this drug appropriately. Yeah. So you have to know that. I, I, I do. I kind of, I kind of put that decision into their, yeah. to their court. I mean, yeah. I guess... 
if I had okay, to. but Dr. Bronk, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> what would you do if you were in my situation? And what and they say because they're going to say that. Um, I think I'd give it. Yeah, you would. You would plan to give like one dose and see what happened. I think I would. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, because I think I think. I think What's what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is they get much worse tomorrow. Yeah, and then, you know, I then you're up- kicking yourself saying, "Man, yes. we should have given it." I like I like that middle ground of saying, "Look, we recognize like the labeling for this drug says we're supposed to give it today, tomorrow, and the next day, but you got to pay for each dose." So I'm going to be honest with you. This is like I'm not really supposed to recommend this. But it's an option that if we give this and either your dog is no better or it's tons better that we could say, okay, we're going to take our chances and we're going to stop it from there because it's just not in the budget. And I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, And it's an interesting thing. Like, yes, you're technically, if you're planning that, you're giving it off label. But like I said, I've had patients where we've given it and we've decided later that was inappropriate and we stopped it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like that, that's the appropriate thing to do if you misdiagnose something and you're using it and you're like, nope, that's not what we're going to do. Um, and so I don't really have any major concerns with withdrawing and not completing the full thing other than again, the company would say you might not get the full efficacy. Okay. That's a chance we're willing to take kind of a thing. So I okay. think that's super reasonable. Um, I, do. I also think, and maybe this really shouldn't be much of a factor, but I think clinics definitely feel staff shortages mm. and staff mm. being overworked. And if I get an animal out of the hospital Heck in yeah. one day instead of three, oh, for sure. Staff's happier. Oh, I mean, it's always better to get the animal yeah. home sooner, right? It's just, how, you know, how much of that is, is the responsibility of the owner to pay the difference. So like if hospitalization, now if three days in your hospital costs $2,500, then this is a bargain, right? Um, you know, they if you can get them out. one compared to staying three. One to three is probably worth it. Yeah. Two to three is Maybe pushing not. it a little yeah. bit. So yeah, again, you have to think about, you know, how much um, how much things cost. And and again, like you hate that it comes down to that, but it does. Mm-hmm. Like that's the reality. Um, I would do that because my dog is 50 pounds. If my dog were 120 pounds, Ooh. it might be a different. Yeah, it might that's be a good a point consideration, too. Really. No, that's a really good point. I mean, everything is more expensive in the giant animals, right? But yeah, if you've got like a little teacup Yorkie yeah. um, and you're like, I might be able to stretch one vial into <laughs> right. all three doses versus you've got like a, you know, a Labrador or something like that. The good news whatever that means, I guess, is that a lot of our pancreatitis dogs are on the smaller end. Yeah. I don't tend to get bad pancreatitis in giant breed dogs for whatever reason. Um, it, it's definitely, you know, small to medium sized dogs. So um, I haven't yet contended, although again, like our great Dane that um, you didn't have pancreatitis, but like right. I haven't had to contend with one that I was like, oh, we should probably give Panaquil. And it was like, we're going to use multiple vials yeah. each day. Ooh, that's a tougher, but I also think people with large giant breed dogs need to be prepared. Like everything costs more. It does. Um, yeah. Interesting. Any last thoughts, other things, questions, things, other things that you've talked about with colleagues or? Yeah, I think, I think we're just in general excited about the potential, you know, for, I mean, I, when I go to vet school, I get taught how to, how to treat pancreatitis. It's just Mm -hmm. complete. It's just symptomatic. Hydrate the pancreas. Like, so I think it's really exciting to have a drug that's specific for, Mm -hmm. um, the pathology behind it. Yeah. Um, I think it's actually been a long time since. Yeah there's been a new drug that's come out that's like, this is kind of exciting. Yeah. And not only like in theory, it would be awesome, but it seems like it might actually be doing the thing they're claiming it's doing. Maybe not exactly like what they're claiming because they always have to try to, <laughs> they got to try to, you know, have put that cash grab out there. You know, everybody needs it always. But um, <laughs> but I do think it, it is, it, it could be a bit of a game changer. Yeah. yeah and that's exciting. Too. It's been a while since we've had one like that. But like all drugs, it's about, you know, case selection and using it appropriately. But 
um, yeah, it's a fun one. And it'll be interesting to see over the years, like what happens. And the other thing that'll be interesting is what new, um, new other drugs and treatments come out of this. Um, I always think that's very cool. But um, yeah, if we could do something to treat actually like what's happening yes. in pancreatitis, that could be pretty cool yeah. rather than just like, let's just wait and treat the symptoms. So I think you're right. That, that, is, that is a pretty unique and very cool feature of this drug. And hopefully, hopefully we see uh, more good things from it. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Awesome. Heidi, it was so good having you, you on the show. Thank great. you so very much. Let's see if I can do this without screwing up the um, the, the music with Topher gone. But um, yeah, it was lovely having this conversation and talking about Panaquel. And thanks for sharing your experience and thoughts and your idea on the show. Um, Absolutely. And hopefully we'll come up with a reason for you to come back sometime. I look forward to it. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye.